0: Dr. Helio, welcome back to The Grumpy Strategist. Mr. Shoebridge, it's always a pleasure to be here, but despite the pleasure, I will still be grumpy.
1: Well, I'm, I'm hoping this is, if it's, if it's a grumpy topic, it's an interesting topic. This podcast, we're going to focus on naval shipbuilding in Australia. And gosh, there should be some great news here because it was six years ago in 2017 that the previous government launched the naval shipbuilding enterprise and committed to continuous shipbuilding here in Australia. I think there were there was the submarine program, which at the time was French attack class submarines, cancelled. Uh, there was the Hunter frigate program, building in South Australia after the first one was built over in the UK. And there was the smaller, the minor war vessels program, which was going to be built in the west, with the first class of ships there being the offshore patrol vessels. So things looked really good at the launch of this
0: shipbuilding enterprise. Six years later, what's happened? Well, I would have to say, trying to put on my completely objective hat here, things have not gone very well. So in terms of major war vessels, it's a little odd that we wanted to have a continuous naval shipbuilding plan, but the first thing we did was to actually turn off the program that was being conducted. So we were building, quite successfully, the Hobart-class air warfare destroyers, yet we decided to end that program at three, and then... We were concerned about a valley of death, but we went down a path that actually extended the valley of death by choosing a completely new design. We ran a competition ostensibly looking for a mature in-service design, and yet Defence recommended to the government the UK's Type 26 design, which we've renamed the Hunter, but it wasn't mature, wasn't in service, and by the way, we implemented five major design changes to it, so the weapons, the combat system, the radar, the helicopter, and the Australian build standards. Not surprisingly, that program has encountered some very major schedule delays, and also the design itself seems to have grown considerably from the original UK design. So that's facing some major Problems. Well, I suppose on that one, we may not have seen
1: the last of the delays because we haven't yet seen the first of the Royal Navy ships successfully produced. It's encountering a lot of delays and problems.
0: What I would say, Michael, is that using Defence's own information that it's provided to Parliament and to the government, it's probably going to be about 2032 before we get the first ship into service. So we're still looking despite being five years down the track with this program at another decade before we get any real capability. And then we have a two-year delivery drumbeat of subsequent ships. And so we are looking at deep into the 2040s before we get the whole fleet. And that, of course, puts huge pressure on our aging Anzac-class frigates, which will be going deep into their 30s and may even be 40 years old before they can retire. And that that introduces huge risk um, because um, many of us uh, are quite aware of the risks involved in aging warships about not just the capability becomes obsolete, but just actually basic issues around getting them to sea safely uh, become quite challenging. Mm. So that's, that's interesting. There hasn't really been much spoken about
1: about a more fragile surface fleet uh, with the delay in the, in the hunter program but that prospect of some unexpected problem in the aging anzacs that isn't about technical performance it's just about the operation of aging Vessels and systems.
0: So, there's been a lot of discussion, Michael, about the transition in our submarine force as we move from the Collins class fleet to the future nuclear powered fleet. But we've actually got a similar kind of challenge with the surface fleet. And that makes me very, very concerned because, in my view, the Navy is facing strategic risk in both of its major combat fleets. And uh, it's bad enough to have major risk in one of those fleets, but simultaneously to have it in both of those fleets. Uh, I think is very, very concerning.
1: You're right. The rubber band is being stretched, both for the Collins and for the Anzacs, by the same phenomenon, which is a slower time frame for delivery of of the new systems.
0: Yeah, yeah. and and so so that's the first of the three continuous naval shipbuilding stream. So not very good there, I'm quite concerned. The the second one is the minor war vessels. And so that stream started with the Arafura class offshore patrol vessel where Defense selected a German design that's being built in Fremantle by an Aussie company, Civmec who are actually a, a company in the mining industry and the energy sector, and using their sort of very deep expertise in metal construction, moved into shipbuilding. And they actually seem to have done the transition reasonably well. So there are some problems there. The information that we get out of, say, the Australian National Audit Office seems to suggest there are some delays there, and not the program's not perfect. But it's pretty close to delivering the first of the 12 offshore patrol vessels it's building. yes. But but all is not well there, I would suggest. I mean, one of the problems is that we seem to have realised that we can't afford the luxury of building 1,800-tonne war vessels that don't actually have any lethal capability.
1: Well, yes, there's a couple of issues there, I, I think. First, back to your Valley of Death comment earlier. One solution to the workforce Valley of Death everyone was terrified around in Adelaide was to get the first two of these offshore patrol vessels built there, and then transfer the build program over to the west. Well, that seems to me to have created some risks and problems for, for the OPV construction. So yes, Civmec and Luson two very capable companies, But the net result is there seem to be some difficulties getting these early vessels accepted into service. And I just wonder if the political rationale for jobs in Adelaide then created some program problems. There's that. But you're right, the larger problem is, let's say the OPV production line is now humming like a top. The problem is it's spitting out the wrong thing unarmed, but fairly sizable vessels. And that's where the strategic review comes in, I think, and makes the sensible observation that that's probably not the right fleet structure. And now we've got the Hiller review, the independent analysis of the naval surface combatant fleet, which is meant to deliver something in September.
0: Yeah, I think it's a real sign of how much things have changed in the last Roughly five years in our uh, understanding of our strategic circumstances, five years ago, the OPV was the right solution, something that basically had a little gun, no missiles, no anti-submarine warfare capability, couldn't carry a uh, manned helicopter. Now, now, when we're on the cusp of delivering that, we've realized it's actually not what we need. After all, and as you say, there does seem to be a suggestion in the Defence Strategic Review that we should be after something more potent than the offshore patrol vessel that we're getting. And, and we'll we'll come back, I think, a bit later to Hilary's review. But so second stream of the ship... Continuous naval shipbuilding program, sort of delivering what it was meant to, maybe a little bit late, but we've changed our minds about is this actually what we wanted in mm-hmm. the first place. And then the third stream, of course, was submarines, and there we have completely changed our minds. Uh, we selected the attack class submarine, a French design. Now, depending on who you talk to, it was either a converted nuclear submarine, or no, 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 it's not, and was never a nuclear submarine in the first place. Anyway, it was a submarine that needed a lot of design work. While all of that design work was happening, sort of lots of critics of the program sort of spoke out, and ultimately. It, it was a program with very few defenders and certainly no major champion. And the end result was is the program was, was cancelled. So where we've gotten to with those three streams is that the major ship, major war vessels, is delivering slower than we had hoped and may not be able to deliver in time to prevent something really bad happening as the Anzacs age out. The OPVs, the second stream, is delivering but we've changed our minds and don't seem to think it's what we really wanted. And, of course, the third stream, we've fundamentally changed our minds. We're now going down the SSN path, for better or worse, but what we do know is that's not going to deliver any time soon. And so we're faced with the issue of the Aging Collins class boat. So still a lot of strategic risk around shipbuilding. You know, someone said to me, Australia
1: definitely has... A continuous naval shipbuilding program the only thing we don't actually have is shipbuilding so we've got,
0: we've so got cruel, the, the program Michael, still so exists cruel, but we are very good at generating programs not so good at generating ships so hopefully we'll do better in future but one thing that is sort of locked down is that we are going to pursue SSNs, nuclear-powered submarines. The DSR endorsed that as as a path. Whether it had any choice, I'm not sure. But that is now locked into our planning. And the DSR has said, well, now we're getting SSNs. That's something fundamentally new. We need to look at the surface fleet and adjust the plan, if necessary, for the surface fleet. So, Last week, you mentioned that long list of studies and reviews that have to be carried out. One of them is a review of the surface fleet, and it's gonna be carried out by retired Admiral, uh, US Navy Admiral, Hilary who's actually been very involved In the naval shipbuilding enterprise for you know the last five or six years as a member of this independent oversight panel that's meant to be providing independent advice to the government well
1: and stop me if, if this isn't right but i thought he'd also as part of that board that oversight body on more than one occasion he has endorsed the hunter frigate program so you kind of wonder what fresh eyes are being brought to this independent analysis but if we put that aside Uh, There are a couple of little indicators in the strategic review about what the review should look at and do. And there's this idea that there are tier one and tier two ships and the idea that maybe more of the fleet needs to be armed rather than unarmed offshore patrol vessels. And since the review was announced, there's been this furious argument between serving Navy people, former Navy people, all about, you know, you can't, a a little dog can't fight a big dog. You know, big ships are the only answer. You can never have too many of them. Is this the right debate? You know, should we have big ships or small ships?
0: Well, with all military capability, it always comes down to what are you trying to achieve? You know, what are the effects you're trying to deliver? What are the operating concepts you're, you're working to? And so it's a bit hard to say whether we should have big ships or more smaller ships until we actually agree on what we're trying to do and how we're going to do it
1: well if i was to take a a guess at what the strategic review seems to be saying the fleet should do i mean the stuff in there about controlling sea lines of communication because australia is a maritime nation dependent on trade that can't be right because we've got way too small a navy to uh, to do uh, convoys and patrols along massively extended sea lines. But if you connect it back to the strategic review saying we need to be able to deter even a major power uh, within our near region, which is pretty much from the Malacca Straits right across the Indonesian uh, and Papua New Guinean archipelago over through the South Pacific, I would say the Navy's primary role in deterring conflict is to be able to sink adversary ships
0: in that big chunk of ocean. Well, I think what you're pointing out there, Michael, is that the Navy's starting point, I think, is quite different from where you end up if you sort of follow the golden string of logic through the DSR. So our Navy generally likes reasonably large ships because it wants to have presence in places a long way from Australia. So sitting on our sea lines of communication, for example. So it tends to like large-ish ships. And since we don't have many of them, it'll want ships that can do pretty much everything. So multi-role vessels that can do anti-surface warfare, anti-air warfare, anti-submarine warfare, and whatever comes up, it, it can do a bit. But As we have seen, the DSR is now talking about a focused force, and the focus seems to be this concept of denial in our archipelagic approaches. So the army, to much of its sort of consternation, found out that the DSR isn't really about interested in combined arms warfare as a army sees it it was it's after a, a different kind of concept of a kind of amphibious littoral kind of operating concept with a lighter more deployable army with a focus on
1: longer range fires missile systems correct uh, that are useful against maritime That's targets as well as
0: land and air so targets. the army's planned 450 ifes went out the window and reduced down to 129 and the dsr is saying get light amphibious ships faster get long-range fires faster so when we sort of transpose that concept to the navy if what the DSR is really about is this kind of denial through the archipelago then yeah maybe a a different kind of smaller ship is viable you know a smaller ship with lots of anti-surface capability that can make life very difficult for an adversary Ooh, in, the, in the archipelago
1: a, a lot of the um discussion and commentary around big ships and small ships is, gosh, we've got a lot of ocean to cover and you've got to go on all these extended patrols and protect these sea lines of, of communication. But that focus force idea would be a bit more like the border protection function, where you don't just do these long, slow patrols. You use your intelligence and tipping and queuing system to say, that's where the problem is, go out there and deal with that. So you can do that with very different kind of ships.
0: That's true, but it gets back to to that issue of what are you actually trying to do? And it's not very explicit as far as I can see The DSR, and so that of course means everybody can project onto it their own views of what they think the Navy should be doing and how they should be doing, and therefore the kinds of ships they need. So, if, if you are a supporter of that kind of traditional view of what the Navy should do, the answer will probably come out you need traditional kinds of ships, you know, so those exquisite ships that take years to design, years to build, and end up costing multiple billions of dollars per ship. Although, I would say. There's
1: a practical problem there, and that is, can the Navy crew that Nirvana dream of more larger ships? And I think you know, but, some practical
0: constraints have to come in into play. Well, there, there are many practical constraints. One is, uh, as we're seeing in the shipbuilding program we spoke about, it takes so long to design and build these ships that your are existing capability ages out they cost so much to build that you end up with very few of them which means well since you've got very few you want to jam as much capability on as possible which means they become more complex and more expensive and you just get into that kind of death spiral.
1: The spiral we're kind of seeing in lots of navies, but
0: all, in a practical way on the and in fact, you know, Some observers have said, well, there's this move to larger numbers of smaller ships. I'm not actually seeing it. Western navies have, have had tried to do this, but they haven't been successful. You look at the US um, littoral combat ship where it tried to have a smaller ship to do sort of some of those traditional roles and it has been pretty much an abject failure. In fact, the the US Navy is retiring some of the littoral combat ships that are only 4 or 5 years old. That's essentially brand new for warships. Mm. So nobody's sort of been able to been able to break out of this cost capability death spiral simply by saying, "Well, we're going to try and do the same thing with small ships that big ships have always done." So if, if you want to break out of it, you have to do things fundamentally differently.
1: That's where I think this is a false debate that's been going on about you know, small ships versus big ships, because to me, navies are meant to be fleets, you know, complementary capabilities across different vessels and different weapons. Isn't that meant to be what the Aegis combat system allows you to do, to use sensors and weapons, not just from the ship you're on, but from others uh, that are accompanying you? So the idea of an air warfare destroyer operating with vessels that are mainly just missile cells, maybe a bit like that arsenal ship concept that the Americans had but didn't really proceed with, uh, and maybe some
0: of those offboard weapon systems like unmanned systems. Well, I agree, Michael. Uh, so th- there's lots of potential solutions involving, some involving smaller ships, some in, involving uncrewed vessels, you know so whether they're uncrewed surface vessels or uncrewed underwater vessels, or if you wanna if what you really want to do is sink the bad guy's ships. You know, aircraft can do that. Well, long-range missiles, which may be on ships, but may land-based or maybe air-based. So it all comes down to what are you trying to do? But if uh, Admiral Hillerides goes into this sort of looking at the task is to basically keep doing the same sorts of things that the Australian Navy has always done, I think the answer is going to look a lot like where we are right now. Which is, get another, get nine uh, Hunter class frigates at the eye watering cost of $5 billion apiece, and nothing is fundamentally going to change.
1: Well, we're, we're out of time, but I, I would hope that Admiral Hillary goes beyond the scope of what has been said about his brief, which is not just look at surface combatant ships. Uh, I think he needs to think a bit more broadly about offboard weapon systems, combinations of ships and unmanned systems, and this more um, mosaic warfare approach of you know, one big ship controlling lots of other systems. Uh, and maybe the last bit where he needs to go beyond his brief is to have a bit of a chat with the New Zealanders, because if we want something practical that actually is affordable and happens within a reasonable number of years, the New Zealanders could be our best friends. Imagine partnering with them in a new kind of ANZAC program that is delivering something well below the Hunter class of expense and has some of these other attributes.
0: Well, whether the answer lies with the New Zealanders, I do think the answer has to be something different to where we've ended up because, as I said before, we are in a pretty bad place and facing a lot of strategic risk and doing business the same way is not going to get us out of this situation.
1: Well, I wish Admiral Hillerides much luck, but I also hope for something practical with an actual implementation plan. Thanks very much for the chat, Marcus. Thank you, Michael.